Good morning. Welcome, welcome. You are listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Sunday morning. It's a, gosh, it's a chilly morning, isn't it? Oh, lovely to have you with me. Hopefully you're warm and cosy and listening to the show um, from your nice warm bed. This is a show that covers health and well-being through connection to people, people in our community and people beyond. Um, they share with us their choices and consequences and regardless of age, their innate wisdom. Now, by discerning and getting a sense of what is transferable from what these guests share, we can choose to apply the relevant aspects in our lives and in our community and develop programs that found a more sustainable, loving and heartfelt way to be with each other, thereby improving our physical and our mental health. Now this week's show on Stay in the Loop with Lucy is part of a series on lying. Today we're going to touch on the integrity in politics and questions, and it, it questions if we're viewing politics from the right space. Now we've got, you know, a little bit to go before we get there. And I have actually got um, a guest in the studio today. Um, hello, Austin. How's everyone going? <laughs> Austin is doing fantastically well. I'm not sure that uh, he expected to be doing exactly what we're going to do this morning. But what I love about Austin is he's going with the flow. Yeah, we'll see how we go. The Big. first time on radio, so... <laughs> there we go. Well... You know, everyone everyone uh, has has something to share. And when it's their first time, by the end of the show, you'll be saying, hey, that's so easy. When am I next on? <laughs> so let's bring that on. All right. So um, what I had a message on Facebook earlier in the week that told me that it was a year to the day that I had interviewed Judy Hopwood, who was the member for Hornsby before Matt Keane. And um, it's interesting that I'm doing politics today because I hadn't actually thought, hadn't thought about the timing. I just thought this series on lying, when I was looking at the statistics for, you know, the most trustworthy and the least trustworthy professions. Yeah. yeah. Who would you say was top of the most trusted professions, Austin? What do you reckon? In politics? No. In all kinds of professions, it can be health, it can be, you know, um, just people you see, you know, all sorts of different things in, I kind of don't want to give it away, so, um, or it could, but politics are included in that. Okay. Um, Who do you think is very trustworthy? Um, well, obviously, to trust someone, you'd have to know them for a quite some time. Ah. You can't, you, you know, the, five, the first five seconds yeah. of um, a first impression means a lot. Yeah. When you meet someone for the first time. That's true. And um, in like uh, picking up on uh, things like them twitching or yeah. not telling the truth. Yeah, whether uh, their body's speaking what their mouth's speaking. Yeah, yeah. You can, I can, I can pick up on things like that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Okay, so would you be surprised to see that nurses are at the top of the list of the most trusted professions? Oh, that wouldn't surprise me at all. No. And yet how often we know within five minutes whether that nurse is telling us the truth or not, whether they're being gentle with us or not, whether they're caring, all of those things. Yep. They beat doctors and have beaten doctors for a while. They consistently are more trusted than doctors. Would you be surprised to know that car salesmen are at the bottom of the list of uh, trustworthy professions? I wouldn't, that that's, uh, doesn't surprise me, really. Do you think they're more if, interested uh, in the if sale? If the car was being sold on Gumtree or in a car dealership, that still depends on the person yeah and if they would yeah yeah it's a sweeping generalization actually isn't it what you've brought up there it's a very good point because there are some very trustworthy salespeople and there are some very trustworthy um people who sell their stuff on gumtree oh yeah but at the same time it's you've got to meet them and get a sense of yeah who they are first yeah. Mm. So um, if we go from the bottom of my list of trustworthy professions, and this is Roy Morgan's Image of Professions Survey 2017, we've got car salespeople with um, uh, 4% and then advertising people at 5%, so that's just one step off the bottom. Uh, real estate agents... He just uh, All these people just want to sell you something. I can quite see they have a vested interest in you purchasing because their income is related to yeah, they get what they're selling. They get commission. Stuff like that, yeah. yes. So that does bring up the question of whether or not the moment you get in commission, whether you, you know, you have, whether your ethics get wobbled. Yeah. Yeah, by what you're actually, what you need out of the interaction. Yeah, of course. Insurance brokers. 
stockbrokers, <laughs> amount of stockbrokers that have been done for uh, embezzling, <laughs> talkback radio announcers, and then state MPs and federal MPs. I'm sorry, but who makes these statist- uh, statistics? It was a telephone survey conducted on the 24th, 22nd to the 24th of May with 648 Australian men and women over 14 years of age. So it's going to be one of those, you know, those conversations, you know, have you got time to do a survey? Um, But I think some people, it doesn't say whether they were paid or not, but, um, you know, very often they'll find people will do these things. It's cool. I personally don't. I should do, but, yeah, just... Uh, they always call at the wrong moment. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's so that's quite interesting. Now, one of the things that I did in my interview with Judy a year ago, we, we spoke about homelessness, and that was that was the core of what she did. She, it was, um, she was the person that started the Homelessness Task Force in Hornsby when she was a federal MP, when she was an MP oh, really? for Hornsby, yes. Wow. Yep, and she still does that today, and um, they looked, they didn't, they weren't aware of how big the problem was, and they now are, you know, they now have a much greater awareness as a result of what she and the team that she worked with started. Oh, yeah. You'd be very surprised. There's a lot of homeless people. Yeah. Now, Austin, you shared with me before that you can speak about that. Um, Can you tell us about that? I can tell you a little bit. Yeah. um, I have been homeless before in my life. I've, uh, but I've sorted my stuff out briefly. Mm -hmm. For now, I'm in a lot better condition than I was, let's say, two or three years ago. Um, and was it homeless on the street or was it couch surfing oh, homeless? Because I know they're neither are better, but... Yeah, uh, it was, oh, I'd say about 90%, 80% of the time it was couch surfing, but yes. not with very nice people. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't want to call people not nice, yeah, but it wasn't very nice. Not, made, not perhaps safe environments. I've like I've woken up in um, bathrooms at train stations, I've slept in park benches, mm. um, like at the ages of 16, 17. Um, once I got to about 18, I started um, just like uh, sourcing things on my own. Mm-hmm. And um, now, yeah, I live comfortably in a nice place with some nice people. Right. And um, yeah, we'll be moving in with my dad and my brother quite short, um, soon, which I've been waiting for for a long time. That's great. Which would be very good. Yeah, good on you. Yeah. Good on you. So, um, are there services when you first became homeless? And please just say if there's anything that you that feels uncomfortable to talk about. When you when you first found yourself homeless, did you find that there were services or you knew where to go to get support? Was there anything really easily accessible, or or did you have to find out the hard way in terms of you no. know talking to people? And there are always people. Um, St Vincent's de Paul's, uh, Salvos. Um, They'll give you food, mm-hmm. um, you know, vouchers, yep. and that, uh, clothing, blankets, whatever you need. Um, but the the one I like the most would probably be Mission Australia. Yeah, they're very a good pe- good bunch of people. Yeah, um, they just uh, they've helped me out quite a lot over the last few months, and I've uh, really appreciated it. It's been it's been great. I work with them a lot, so I'm a big fan of theirs. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, um. With once you found yourself in that situation, did what was the bit that felt the most vulnerable? Was it not knowing when it would end, or was it the the immediacy of actually the danger that was in that moment, or the the vulnerability that was in that moment? Um, uh, I think it was uh, more the vulnerability in the moment. Mm. Yeah, because it's really difficult, isn't it? It's difficult to know uh, where you're going to sleep, um, what's going to happen in that night. So there was a TV show on just recently about some very um, affluent people, very rich people, and they were put on the streets for a week and they had to basically experience what it was like to be homeless. Right. And all of these people had really like opi- really strong opinions of what it was. Yeah. And um, so they they started... Um, on the street and then they went into sheltered accommodation and they basically experienced, you know, I think they, I can't remember what they had. They had a very small amount of money to, to live on. And oh, what, yeah. what the one of the girls found the most difficult is that she felt vulnerable. So when you sleep, 
you when you sleep in your own home, you don't have to worry about someone coming up and um, doing anything to you in the night. Yeah. When I did the homeless count overnight um, for the city oh, of Sydney, you always when yeah. you always sleep with one eye open wow. when it's in those situations. Um, yeah, it's uh, not there's some pretty like uh, ugly people out there, which mm. yeah, it's not very nice. But um, I I didn't have any like too bad problems. Yeah, just the coldness was the main problem for me. Yeah, I, it was so hard to stay cold. Yeah, I just keep walking around and around just to stay warm. Didn't really want to sleep anywhere. And of course, that's when that's when it's you know sleep deprivation is something they use in the war yeah, to break yeah. someone down. Of course. So the moment you don't have good sleep, you feel incredibly vulnerable during your day as well, and your thoughts change, and your mood changes, and your coping mechanisms are immediately oh, yeah. in physical health changes. Yeah. Yes. You get uh, sick, and yeah, it's just you don't eat properly. No. It's uh, it's all just like a big haze. Yeah. Yeah. Um, One of the things that they found um, was that the people who equally lived on the street with them were incredibly kind to them or met them. You know, like there's much more sharing and generosity among the people who had very little compared to the people who had quite a lot. That is is very true. Mm. I've noticed that um, over the past past few years. Yeah. Um, Some very nice people with that should be, uh, let's say, more blessed in life yes they deserved it yeah yeah but you know what what goes around what you know we'll, we'll around, yeah around. we will will if you've i mean when we first came to australia someone invited us over for christmas and um ever since then we've very much had a had a policy of like if you need support you know come to you know we'll we'll have that open christmas lunch you yeah. know or christmas day or that time is there's but that it's um, we were looked after. We need to offer that back. Uh, yeah, that'd be that's really good. Yeah, uh, it's good to have that sort of thing. But the cold this morning is a stark reminder of how cold it is when uh, when the sun goes down, and you've got twelve hours, sometimes eight hours of of a cold night yeah. ahead of you. Yeah. And once you get cold in your body, I mean, I don't know what your body's like, but when I get cold, I find it difficult to not to, to warm up and particularly sleeping out at night, which, I mean, I've only ever done as a fundraiser and as an experience to raise awareness. Um, and I've, read, I've really struggled with it. Yeah. Uh, probably one of the worst things I ever woke up in, like, um, to anyone listening on the air, like, I'm not, like, a... Um, bearded homeless person or no. I'm not like scrubby um I'm no. I clean I keep maintained and stuff yes. I'm nice good to sort of watch and stuff but um <laughs> um one of the, probably one of the worst times I can remember I was about uh, 16 17 I woke up uh in St Leonard's train station with about a thousand tissue papers on the ground and a thousand tissue papers on top of me to keep oh, warm no. woke up to the cleaner yeah, he's like, come on, oh man, like I understand you got to sleep and stuff, and so I was like, oh, and then I went and slept in an elevator, and it was a horrible time in my life. Yeah, I didn't enjoy it at all. But, I'm, um, yeah. I'm so pleased you're gonna get to go up to Brisbane and, oh, and yeah. live with it's, your dad and brother. It's gonna be a new change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. fantastic. It's be good. So, um. I'm obviously going to be sleeping in my car. You actually don't know I'm going to be sleeping in my car, but uh, Fusion and Streetwork are joining forces to raise awareness of homelessness. And um, I'm going to be sleeping in my car on the, I think it's the 11th of August. So if you would like to sponsor me, listeners, please do. I will post the link on the website at the end. And uh, if you fancy, if you haven't, left by then if you fancy coming down and sharing dinner with us we'll all be there have a nice um fire in a in a tin in the car park that we're going to be sleeping in just in hornsby yeah um so hopefully we're going to get a a good uh, barbecue going that night as well just to <laughs> give us a uh, a bit of a meal before we go to sleep a few snags i know well you know it just warms up the stomach um yeah. all right so now today's interview is um Today's interview is with a woman called Rebecca Bryant. She is a student of politics. And um, I've I've split her interview up into three sections. Um, it's really about um, 
you know, how we can find ourselves lying to keep up a pretense than using common sense. So to recap on the last episode, what it seems like that we lie to avoid punishment, to gain advantage, to protect against unwanted consequences, uh, you know, like to not disappoint the parents, which seems to be a massive one. Even how, whatever age you are, you, you appear to not want to disappoint your parents. Uh, to boost self-esteem, to demonstrate power, to maintain privacy and to protect a friend. Now, Austin, I would guess, I, it certainly was the way I grew up, is that you don't dub on your friends. That there is a certain rule about what you speak up about and what you don't. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that can sometimes put you in a situation where you're lying. It can, yes, yeah. And what I found is really difficult is where you have to... Um, I mean, I have um, been in a situation where if I lied, I was going to actually be in a whole load more trouble than if I told the truth and the other person took responsibility for their choice of their action. And that was a really difficult decision, but the more I didn't, the more I lied for them the less they took responsibility and they just carried on doing what they were doing and I was just getting into more and more trouble. For something they've done. For something they had done. I've had the exact same situation. Yeah, it's not funny, is it? No, it's not. (laughs) So I have to say now I have a policy that the kindest and most loving thing I can do to someone else is let them take responsibility for their own choices. And... So, and I, it's put me in a really difficult position a couple of times, but actually the person that I have not covered for, and I've said, I, but I've talked to them, I've said, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to do it because it's actually not helping you. It, it's like you're jumping out of a second floor window and I'm catching you every time, but you're not learning not to jump. Yeah. So what I did was I just stepped away and I, I warned them. I said, I won't do it again. That was the last time. They did it again and actually they have never done it since. They got told off, they got caught, they they paid the price and they've never done it again. And I just thought of all of those years, because it was years, that I'd lied for them um, thinking I was protecting them. They didn't learn. No. Yeah, well, things happen and... yeah. Yeah, I guess live and live on. Yeah, and it was a good learning for me, you know. I think choices and consequences have forever been my um, my lesson since then. Maybe we'll head to uh, a little bit of music first and then we'll go straight into the first... In fact, I should probably introduce Rebecca Bryant first. Rebecca Bryant is a student of politics. She's in the UK. And as I say at the start of this show, regardless of the country that they come from, I think there is always something to learn from the guests on this show. So I'm going to play her interview first. You are listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. And this is Rebecca Bryant talking about uh, politics. Welcome, Rebecca. Um, You are obviously in the UK, so we're meeting up with you by Skype. It's a very exciting moment to know that we can traverse the the oceans and uh, make it seem like you're in the next door room. (laughs) Yeah, hi Lucy, thank you for having me. Now you're a student of politics and I'm really grateful to you for um, meeting me and talking to me because I'm really fascinated to know what it's like um, as a student of politics at the moment. So can I ask what made you consider politics as a course in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. It kind of came quite late in my school career. Um, I was actually going down all the the routes necessary to become a psychologist and study psychology at university. And um, I was studying psychology at at what is A-levels for us in in the UK, but I think it's some sort of, you know, the higher tiers of education. And um, I got to kind of the final application process and I, I just couldn't do it. It just didn't didn't feel right. Um, and so I had to stop and take a step back and go, okay, well, what, what do I want to do in life? What do I really enjoy? And, uh, what do I feel, what area do I feel I can bring something to? And since I was a child, I have loved politics, but not in terms of, you know, the, what I think a lot of people unfortunately now consider to be politics, which is the debates and the issues and the mistrust and the, the the lies but the um you know the way that a country is run the way that people come together to discuss issues um and the fact that for me 
really at the end of the day politics is about people and i love that aspect of politics and that kind of mo that's what what uh i wanted to come into politics to do was to work with people for people really Yes, I I love what you're sharing and I think it's a far cry from the politics that that I see um or that mm. we hear about and perhaps there that is the level that we need to hopefully come back to. Well that's what I get a lot of the time when people I tell people that I'm studying politics. It's you know I I love that as a conversation starter because of the kind of reactions I get of like oh really and god you're brave or um you know do you do you have a do you have already at the you know tender age of 18 19 20 do you have your own political party to peddle do you know you do have your own agendas you must be very strong minded or you know all these things come up because we have so many preconceptions of politics rather than you know what is i you know some people may call a very innocent but to me a very uh, core founding principle of politics which should simply be that it is about people oh. I'm in your party. Whatever your party is, I'm joining. <laughs> Wrong side of the pond, but I'll change that if I need to. <laughs> um, so did you, so I mean, in a way, you've actually answered my question, which was, did you choose to go uh, to study politics to go into the career of politics? Um, yes and no. I've always, I've remained very open to kind of where my career will actually end up leading me because uh, and I believe because our, our, our political systems mirror each other quite similarly, but in the UK, actually, there is, a, in my personal opinion, a, a misconception that the most powerful people are the politicians and the prime minister, for example. A lot of people say to me, oh, you've got to become the prime minister. But actually, in terms of um, policy making and the power to pass policy through, and the power to make laws, for example, there's also a lot of power to be found in civil servants. So the people in the background who make the policies and write the policy and also within law. So um, as I've gone through my studies, my, uh, you know, I've been very open to what I actually end up doing. And I'm currently looking at studying law, but always within the field of governance and policy making and making an impact on the on the widest scale possible to the way that that things are run and the way things are done fantastic you know you're that i studied um public health to um, that governance level and i'm mm. i found exactly the same that the most powerful people are the people who write the policy and then need yeah. to share with you what the policy is because very often they're in touch with the people on the ground uh, whereas yes. when you're at that higher level of politics, they're so far away, they wouldn't necessarily necessarily know how to bring equity to, uh, you know, into a system that is, you know, has no equity in it at all. Absolutely. And also the way that our current systems are that, you know, if you say I wanted to become the prime minister and I want, you know, I wanted to, to enact a lot of change. Firstly, I've got to get together the party. I've got to get together the mandate. I've got to get the vote. I've got to get in. I then have to convince my party to make like there's a lot in between me and change. Mm. Whereas when you're when in at least in the UK, the people in um, civil service in the ministry, say the Ministry of Health, the only the, the, the minister, the very top person actually changes when the government changes everyone else their job is is permanent you know it's like a normal job mm. and so they continue working no matter what's going on in the government and uh that they have a lot more scope therefore to you know spend 10 years enacting changes with you know with without the party politics i guess you could say being quite so restrictive i'm sure it still plays out but it's not quite so in your face I think also the danger of that position that, as you say, it's just that top person that changes is that they they also get targeted and uh, their words twisted. And yeah, mm. I think I think that's the thing that most people fear about going into politics is that level of um, face, you know, what that you're Absolutely. facing and, and you're attacked very often um, by people Absolutely. who don't truly understand why you're putting the policy into place in the first place. Yeah, and they also don't understand that you're more often than not a figurehead, a mouthpiece for, mm. you know, a hundred people behind you who are the ones that actually created the policy and you just happen to be the, the person that presents it. And in that, 
um, you know, then comes, uh, you know, interesting to me parallels, say, for example, between uh, the banking crisis where, you know, there was a lot of corruption found at many levels within the banking crisis, but those at the highest levels didn't get sacked because they said, you know, oh, we didn't know it was going on. And the same thing in politicians, it, it, it really calls us to a greater level of uh, accountability and responsibility to understand and to know what is going on and what are we actually representing when we stand up on that podium and we talk about that policy. There you go, Rebecca Bryant, uh, talking to us and reminding politicians of a deeper level of accountability and responsibility when they stand on that podium and share a policy. What am I really representing here? A great question for us, for all of us who speak in public. Are we talking from a lived experience in our body, our connection to humanity, or are we talking from ideals and beliefs that hold us to a picture of how things should be, which may in part, which may in itself be part of the problem? And indeed, you are listening to Triple H, 100.1 FM and Stay in the Loop with Lucy. Welcome back. Uh, you've got me today and Austin. Uh, hey, everyone. How are you going? It's good, isn't it? The first first time live on air for Austin. He's doing uh, fantastically well. <laughs> exactly. Sunday morning excitement. Um, now, Rebecca is um, 20 years old, which is the same age as you, right? Yep. yep. It's extraordinary that uh, both of you have this knowing deep inside that you know like there's something for you to do in the world and um you're going about it you're going about changing your life in order to make that happen so rebecca's chosen to um study politics brave brave girl uh, I, don't, I don't know anything about politics yeah at all. <laughs> but i love the fact that you are that you've been on the receiving end of a whole load of policies that someone else has made and actually probably someone like judy hopwood has set up a system that perhaps is part of what helped you when you were in that situation in that vulnerable situation so pretty cool yeah yeah it but is. that's where i want the politicians to listen to the people who are affected by the end result of their policies so that they can put policies in place that matter yeah. and that, that, you know, that make a difference to us on the ground. Yeah. And um, one of the things that, you know, we covered was about the bickering that politicians do, trying to sledge each other as opposed to actually working together. Yeah, I believe that's true. And if you think about it, in our lives, in you know, neither of us are in politics, but when you have a, like a discussion with your housemates or a discussion with, um, you know, services that you may be working with or, um, I, I be, you know, family or whoever it is, when you're working with a group of people, just having your own opinion and saying steady in that and saying, you know, um, I want it all my way, it doesn't really ever come if you're if you're working in a, or living in a group of people there's compromise that has to happen you have to say well what works for all of us not just what works for one flatmate oh yeah you've got to put it as like a, a team sort of effort yeah yeah so uh, my my theory is that really um that goes across the board in our homes in our workplaces and in our communities and therefore um you know lead the way come on um politicians let's lead the way and in the second interview um, Rebecca and I were talking about the fact that she's studying politics at a really extraordinary time. So I'm not going to give away the interview that we did. I shall just press play and we'll see what comes. Here you go. Listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and stay in the loop with Lucy. You're studying politics at the most extraordinary time. You know, when we talk about, <laughs> you know, people who are... Uh, mouthpieces um you've got trump you're in the trump era uh you've got brexit yes. you've got may i mean that uh, that uh, uh, election outcome wasn't what was expected you've got russia and china that are coming up i mean politics around the world is changing beyond recognition is it exciting or is it slightly overwhelming um i would say it's not, it, I definitely don't find it overwhelming. Um, I don't find it exciting. I just find it very interesting because I feel like a lot of people uh, look at it and obviously I've only been um, alive for 20 years. So therefore, uh, you know, I've studied history, but 
a lot of people kind of go, oh, you don't know how it was, etc. But from my personal view of things, um, it's interesting because what appears to be happening more and more is that we can't keep these issues down anymore. Like that they've been there boiling underneath the surface, whether it be immigration issues, us and them, uh, we want our country to ourselves, let's build a wall, you know, workers' rights, all these, you know, all these tensions are suddenly bubbling up to the surface. And we say that the political landscape is changing beyond uh, beyond belief, but it can only change as far as there is a call for it to change. For example, you know, Trump didn't get in because he barged his way in. He got in because there were a majority in the country that believed uh, believed his values, felt that he had a point. But those values don't develop overnight. They are something that are, have been there for a very long time, waiting for someone to represent them. Therefore, I feel what we're getting is a political landscape that actually represents what is truly going on in humanity. We may not like that, and we may find that very much a slap in the face to be faced with the reality of where we are. But to me, as as uncomfortable as it can be, and as at times even I look at it and I kind of go, okay, this is going to be an interesting one to sort of figure out. I would prefer to have it really in my face where we can deal with it and as a society decide how we want to go forward than to have it as it, I feel it has been very much under the surface and veiled by, uh, you know, an idea that everything is okay because we are a democratic, Western, you know, progressive world. Yeah, it, it under the cover of niceness and politeness, actually, when it, yeah, when we bring it up and, and peel off the plaster, it's all pussy inside. And, and I, maybe that's what the votes have been, that we, we refuse to have that level of pus in our system. We now want to, to, to shout about it and say, actually, no more corruption, no more, um, you know, uh, with, with Trump, no more corruption within politicians, which is what they were really voting for. Yeah, and I mean, you know, to, to varying degrees, some people will disagree that, you know, they've actually gotten the same corruption or, you know, I think um, that it's just a very telling vote, like overall, you know, a very telling vote for Brexit. I think, you know, what we've had in the UK following that another general election that was so indecisive, I feel shows the country that we have not dealt with the separation that was very evident in the the vote of Brexit. The fact that you know the country was divided on its on its future and what it wanted, and yet again a year later ish, you know something along those lines, we've had another general election, and again that is incredibly divided, and there's no real outcome from it because we as a people cannot come together and decide what is true for us as a society and i feel like generally that is something that is we are kind of coming up against in the world is there's very little unification around what we actually want i was going to ask that if you're taught about the principles of debating at uni and do you practice those debates and what do the debates are like and uh, unification wouldn't be a word that i very often use with debating from what i hear on the radio when they live stream the debates or we listen to them live what's it like when you're learning so it's interesting i haven't um officially come across the activity of myself debating in uni but um i have been to the houses of parliament i've watched um live the uh prime minister's questions time which is a weekly debate that happens in the uk and I wouldn't call them debates, but I have very regular political conversations with um, the people that I see on a day-to-day basis, clients that come in to my place of work. Everyone knows I study politics and everyone very much enjoys chatting to me about it. And um, I was fascinated, if I'm honest, when I went to view Prime Minister's Question Time, because it was the first time I'd ever watched it. Um, I wasn't brought up to, to watch those kinds of things. And so to not only watch it, but watch it firsthand was quite incredible because it reminded me uh, very strongly of the Colosseum in Roman times where people mm. gathered for the entertainment to see people literally ripped apart by animals yeah. and the entertainment of abuse and, and violence and, and, and that entertainment factor was very much evident there in, in the chamber 
where people were not necessarily being ripped apart by animals, but there was the jeering, the foot stamping, the crying out, the 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 outright abuse in some cases that I was deeply shocked by, and the entertainment factor that is very openly discussed in my studies. People, uh, my tutors, the people in the textbooks that write, you know, interviews, they say people want that entertainment factor. That's why we have Prime Minister's Question Time. On the one hand, they say it's to hold the Prime Minister accountable for what they're doing and the party accountable for what they're doing. But on the other hand, it's it's pure entertainment. And I personally find those two things not to be inconceivable. Like you can't bring holding someone to account and entertainment at the same time in the sense of the entertainment that they've gone for, which is very much the, the abuse, the jeering, the foot stamping, the... the the childish behavior. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I I completely agree. And when I've interviewed a couple of politicians, they've they've equally both said to me um, that the question time is not about serious debating. It's about theatre. Because I've called them. I've said why it's disgraceful the way you talk to each other you're you're talking to me about policies and how you're going to help me work on on bullying um in children and yet you are absolutely disgraceful at question time um all of you doing that same behavior that you're saying you won't allow in the playground how does that match and he said that's what the people want they want to see um theater so you've yeah. absolutely and you know as soon as those cameras turn off it turns back to normal. But that's, I think, the biggest lie is it doesn't turn back to normal. You can't just put that kind of thing on, it, you know, it, it, especially against the the tradition is such a long-standing one. Uh, I feel like it's become extremely entrenched in every aspect of politics, whether it's as obvious and in your face as it is at Prime Minister's Question Time or it's not. We obviously had the recent election. I saw some of the debates and most of the debating was not really about what the party, particular party, could bring and how it was going to implement policy, but about how can we attack and bring down every other party so that we look the best. And, mm. you know, I personally see it that if you have to attack another, if you have to bring down another's policy, if you have to call into question another person, then obviously there is something weak about what you're presenting because what you're presenting should stand so strong on its own that you need to throw no abuse towards anybody else. But that mentality of debate, of the need to, to one-up someone in politics, the need to be the one that is right, the need to be the one that produces the best policy, the need to be the one that is going to produce the change that is required for this country, is personally, I feel, what is crippling the system, not just here, but worldwide, because it prevents us from being able to work together. It, I don't personally have a political party affiliation, but if I was conservative and a Labour MP or a Labour uh, person on the bench puts forward an idea that is truly going to be supportive for my country, it, it should not be, uh, and, and it currently feels like it is, that my first instinct is to debate with them. I should go, great. I don't, it doesn't matter if you are Labour. It doesn't matter if you are, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. If what you bring to the table is going to support people, then let's work together and bring that to fruition. And because we have these party divides and we have this need for debate that we say is is democratic, and I'm not saying that debate is not is not a good thing. Like we need to discuss things. We need to make sure that we are getting to the to the best possible outcome for the people. But when the need for debate and the need for difference and the need for argument and the need for us and them actually gets in the way of us doing what is right for the people, then we know we have reached a point where to me it's no longer it's no longer working. And I feel we have got to that point that there's no unification, there's no working together within party politics. Oh, absolutely. You're talking about the bipartisan approach, basically, where the parties come together and they sign something that says you know, whatever, whoever is in government, we will stick by this um, this approach. And, and that's what we need to do with health, because the trouble with... I don't know if it's the same in the UK, but every time we get a health policy, say it's obesity, when, a, when a, um, the government changes and it goes to a different party, they start again. 
they do all their research mm. again. They don't trust the research that's been done. So everything slows down and, and our homelessness policies and our mental health policies have all fallen down because of that exact thing that it's not bipartisan. Um, health is politics mm. and that it should never be that way. Absolutely. And, and you know, what I often see is, and I think there's actually a term for it that I can't currently remember, but that that often, you know, a government will know it's coming up to the end of its, uh, cycle. its period in its yeah. cycle or maybe an MP or a council member, and they just stop doing things. They don't mm. implement new things because they know they're not going to be there to carry it on. So they just, you know, they just stop. And I know in America, it's there's, again, a word for it. But when, say, um, Barack Obama, he had run his two terms, so he could not run again. So he knew that that last sort of year in in office, he was not going to be the focus anymore. The yes. focus would be the election. And so therefore, he kind of got scot-free in that last year yeah. uh, to do as he wished or, or not, really, because he wasn't the eye of the media. And there we go. He wasn't the eye of the media, and so he took a step back. Now, I always say at the um, at the start of the show that there's your solid commitment to your community, working for the best possible outcome in your community and society, is what we should be using the time in Parliament to, to be doing, not abusing each other. So if it's a good policy, let's adopt it as a bipartisan um, policy, knowing that you know another government is may come in at another election otherwise that three-year election cycles bonkers um, and if you don't if you're not really aware of that election cycle you have it's three years that we're that um, a party is in is in power power governance um, so for the first year they're kind of getting to know what the state of affairs is for a year they're governing and then for a year they're campaigning so you kind of just go mm, when do you actually do anything when do you you know work together i think if we had more bipartisan and and you know may i get on my soapbox here and please take health out of it because you know some of the services that we have um related to health and homelessness it's crazy that that become that they all become political issues let's go to a little bit of music again you're going to really like this then. So I'm going to tell you about um, a former judge, the Honourable Tony Fitzgerald. Um, he is a former judge and leader of the Fitzgerald Inquiry. And he put together a survey which asked MPs and senators to answer yes or no. So the survey read as follows. As a member of parliament or the executive government, are you ethically obliged to... One, act honorably and fairly and solely in the public interest. Two, treat all citizens equally. Three, to tell the truth. Four, not to mislead or deceive. Five, not to withhold or obfuscate information to which voters are entitled. Six, not to spend public money except for public benefit. Seven, not to use your position or information gained from your position for your benefit or the benefit of a family member, friend, political party or other related entity. Right? That was the survey. So yep. 37 prominent Australians um, signed this petition to put it forward um, to, to make sure that they, you know, got the necessary signatures to make it be a, you know, proper survey and hold them all accountable to it. 57 parliamentarians have agreed to the principles of good governance, the Fitzgerald principles of good governance. 36 declined to even participate and the, the remaining 133 didn't even bother to reply. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So interesting, isn't it? Because it's not like you're um, asking them to do anything that you can't imagine that they would do anyway. Yeah, and I think that that it's very telling if they feel that it is, uh, I don't know necessarily all the reasons, but perhaps beneath them or irrelevant or et cetera, but, but also very telling that, they, that we as a people and we as politicians need a reminder of what our basic, basic integrity should be in entering into politics. And I think that is, that is in itself quite a... Uh, a symptom or a, a telling fact of where we have where we've come to that we need that reminder and yet even when we get that reminder 
uh, our politicians still don't necessarily uh, take to what I feel is, you know, a, a, an olive branch being offered out to be like, you know, show the people you have integrity in the way that you work. That's right, absolutely. The other bit that was interesting is par parliamentarians are not legally required to act in the public interest or tell the truth um, or forbidden to act in their own interests or the interests of their supporters. The Australian constitution requires them only to take an oath of allegiance to the Queen. <laughs> I'm like, hmm, wow. go figure, there's something a bit wrong here. Um, but ministers do kindly give an additional undertaking which, present, which presently merely requires them to serve the Australian people. I mean, I can tell I had a slight sarcastic tone there and I'm not a fan of sarcasm at all. So I'm going to apologise for that. But it just, it flabbergasts me that it's not completely normal to be, you know, if someone gives you the opportunity, if you haven't had to sign up to that and someone gives you the opportunity to sign up to those seven ethical principles, really basic principles, that they don't jump at it. Yeah, it is very interesting, and it's. I actually watched the uh, interview in which um, Tony Fitzgerald was talking, and and I found it very interesting what he was saying, um, because we have we have got to a point as as he was saying something along the lines of he's quite concerned with the fact that we have a lot of uh, career politicians now. Some people may scoff at that at me studying politics but i do plan on having a career before i go into politics hopefully one in law um but you know i think he has a point there's not necessarily anything wrong with career politicians but there is when from the very beginning we are not raised or taught or educated politics with those principles in it like i'm being i'm being taught politics um i have yet to come across the founding principles of what it means to be a politician, to act politically. And um, so those those things aren't shared. So a lot of the time, people do go into politics to peddle a, uh, an idea, peddle a belief, to get far, to get the recognition, the, you know, to have the kind of the fame, the money, the the standing, all these, all these different things start to play a part in why people go into politics. And we don't question that. We don't actually sit our political students down. We don't sit the politicians down and go, what, why are you here? Like, are you here to selflessly, and I feel it is selflessly, you know, to put you to one side and your, your views, your wants, your desires to one side, and simply be a custodian of the responsibility to represent the people of your country and uh, to guide this country in the best possible way into an evolutionary future. Like, is that is that why you're here? And if it's not, what what, what why are you here? And what are you planning on doing here? <laughs> Absolutely. The custodian of that responsibility. I love that expression. That's kind of really gets to the nuts and bolts of it, really. But also something I think is quite interesting, just to be a little controversial, because I like to be a little controversial. Yeah. Um, Tony Fitzgerald says that these are basic principles of a democratic, uh, representative democracy, democratic society. And actually, that's something I would slightly disagree with just through my studies of the way that uh, the democratic society, representative democracy has evolved and the principles on which it is founded if we truly wanted those principles that you just read out to be the foundation of the government that we have currently, we would have, uh, we would not have the democratic, I don't feel we would have the democratic system that we have today. It was founded upon the very Western idea of individual freedom, the individual's right to do as they wish, to be unimpeded by government, to be unimpeded by pretty much anyone in their right to do as they wish, unless it caused very obvious, very direct harm to others. Even if it causes, like I, I read about it, even if it causes indirect harm. So you know, some people say that I can mock you for your religion and that is not causing you real harm because it's subjective, uh, you know, it's subjective harm that, you know, it, it's not a real thing that I'm harming you over. And that's actually one of the principles of individual freedom that democracy is based on. And when that is a foundation, which has then led to, as we've discussed, these uh, party politics, these, this debate, this, uh, this lack of unity, and um, this very hands-off that has, you know, in America, you can very much see it because the government there 
uh, evolved from as a reaction from the revolution, the Revolutionary War. The government is set up because of a mistrust of power, a mistrust of people um, in power doing what is right for the people. They just don't believe that that it's possible for people to work without corruption. So they've put an entire system in place to actually frustrate power. So things can't really get done. And so when those are your founding philosophies. I really am not surprised that we've reached a point where these principles that you've discussed are not a living, breathing aspect of our day-to-day politics and has actually got to the point where even the people don't expect that of their politicians. Wow, that's a background I had not I had not even considered. So that's <laughs> got a whole new... And it's quite interesting because <laughs> Skype started flipping out um, as you were talking and you missed one, you know, one word here or there and it was like, OK, she's, uh, she's blasting the airwaves. This is very good. <laughs> so I think that's probably a really good one to follow up on, you know, what's democratic and what isn't. Because as you say, if we want these freedoms, these freedoms all come with a responsibility. And if we stand and, you know, stick the democratic flag in the ground and yet we're abusing that uh, um, each other under that banner, then that banner is not following these principles. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, I'm not necessarily saying there's anything wrong with democracy per se, but there's definitely, I feel there's definitely a call for us to consider the democracy that we have, we have currently, what what it was that we built that democracy upon and why it is if democracy is the answer um that it's it is so obviously falling apart currently in our political systems and why you know these principles get put forward to a seemingly very western very forward-thinking democratic representative society and so few take those principles Mm. rebecca you have given me much to consider and much for our listeners to consider so I'm enormously grateful for that thank you very much no problem it was an absolute pleasure Lucy thank you very much I look forward to hearing where you go to for law and following up this interview with that next step as well can't wait absolutely I look forward to it thank you thanks Rebecca and there we go. That's the end of the Rebe- the um, interview with Rebecca Bryant. It was great to have her. What she brought was um, a whole picture of um, politics that I hadn't actually considered, which I really loved. It was uh, an interview that we did over Skype. And um, uh, I really do hope that politicians listen to students who are studying and, and who really want to go into politics as an area that can make a difference. Um, I th- I believe we all start there. But I get the feeling that when, when you have something to lose, so when you go up through local politics to state politics to federal politics, your need to stay in that role can sometimes cloud your commitment to some of the original policies that you stood by very strongly um, that one, you might not have time to, to do, to pay much attention to anymore. And two, you might be asked to toe the party line and therefore you actually have to weigh up the benefit of a few with the benefit of a many, with many. You know, there are so many things and I think I will ask one of, uh, or some of, some of the local politicians to come in and talk to us about that dilemma and what happens. My question is, will they be able to have that comp- uh, conversation without feeling like they need to toe the party line or without being worried about what they're saying because it might affect they might be you know someone who who is um above them in that hierarchy might not agree with what they're saying i want to ask from one human being to another human being and i think that we have to actually ask that question in all of this I feel that we have to ask these questions because it is going to or it is affecting mental health I think we live in a world where there's so much lying everywhere that we're all starting to feel less secure because we are we don't feel fully equipped to deal with what other people are doing or saying or or just feeling like we're not being told the whole truth. Well, at the end of the day, um, we want the truth, nothing but the truth. But um, at uh, you could like lying. It, it's in our bloody, like, um, it's just something naturally that we do. And um, 
sometimes lying, like as bad as it sounds, but it can be for someone's benefit. Let's just uh, put this into a scenario. Yeah. Um, say if there was a, a young child and they had a, 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 a rabbit, a dog, cat, whatever. Something they dearly cared Something they, for. they loved and uh, they looked after every day and you know, it would be the joy of them waking up. Um, and uh, so let's just say, sadly, maybe got hit by a car or it had to be put down or yep. something like that terrible happened. Uh, what would you say to this child? Uh, would you tell them a lie or would you tell them the truth? You're going to say, oh, the dog got hit by a car. He's splattered all over the road or... Um, oh, yeah, no, I probably <laughs> or, wouldn't or describe would say, that bit. <laughs> <laughs> or would you be like... Um, no, uh, he, he's lost or yeah, like that. maybe. Yeah, we, we had a scenario exactly like that and I, I really had to wonder what to say. And so our dog, in fact, got run over, but it was right when my daughter was doing the HSC. And I sat there and thought, what do I do? Like, do I lie and just say that the dog's gone to kennels for a week because there was just, you know, too much going on? Or do I tell her after her first HSE and when she had a massive one the next day, one that she'd been preparing for for ages, yeah, that actually yeah. the dog had died. And now the dog had been her best friend. It had been her saviour in her eyes yeah. um, through some really quite difficult times and had made her feel steady. So the dog going at this moment was not ideal. And not a good time. Not a good time. But I, I weighed it up and I thought, you know, I could lie to you, but I reckon you will be able to tell that I'm not telling the truth because I reckon she could read on me that I was holding something back. Now, I think we've got some people are proficient liars, aren't they? Yeah, and some, and some people can pick up on it very well. Yeah, and I reckon she could read in me because I don't think I am a very good liar and I think that that's a strength of mine I think I'm much better at telling the truth it's not always um, it's not always an easy one but for her what I ended up doing was saying look the dog's been run over um, but actually the, it, it happened very quickly and I, the, I don't think there would have been any chance of the dog suffering so yes it was on the road and I probably wasn't very good looking but at the same time it was quick and I thought what would I like as I think what we don't want is something that we've loved or a person that we've loved to suffer and so what you do sometimes is you lie to lessen the suffering yeah would you truth, agree with the that? the truth hurts yeah it does at the end of the day depending on what uh, the scenario is yeah. of the truth but um, in that scenario uh, I suppose it sounds like lying's not good but after HSC, maybe yeah, doing that. and then she'll have her grades, and she would have done what she she would have done her best without the stress. Of yeah, the and dog. it did affect her. You know, you're right. If I could have held off so a little what, bit longer, what did you do? Did you lie or did you tell I the know, truth? No, I told the truth, and okay. you know, we ended up um, at the doctors, and we ended up. She had to get special considerations because you know she literally fell apart. She did. To her credit, she yeah. turned up to every single exam and, and did, did her well. best in every single exam. That's good. You know, she did, um, she did well. As far as I'm concerned, the fact that she turned up, she did fantastically. Yeah. Um, so you that's know, happy ending to Yeah. It wasn't what she expected to do. It wasn't what she could have done. But, you know, her life is, is where it wants, you know, is, is, is successful now in the sense that she has, has built a lot since then to be, you know, ready to go and study what she wants to study now. And so... Oh, I, used to, I used to have a lovely cat. He was a grey and white kitten when I was about, uh, probably, don't know what age, but about year seven, year eight, year nine. And we kept feeding it um, the best of the best meat we could get. It was a very expensive cat meat. We loved that cat. And um, this is a bit irrelevant to what we're talking about, but... Um, or relevant, um, somewhere or other. <laughs> true. Uh, and... Um, yeah, we kept finding it the best of the best mate and um, for about a year or two and then started having seizures and uh, just flipping out everywhere, like scattering around. And it turned out from the expensive mate that we'd given the cat, um, there was a certain bug in it uh, and it went to its brain and then the cat just, yeah, it, it, we, unfortunately we had to put it down. Uh, my mum didn't tell me that the cat had died for about uh, 
two weeks yeah. until I found oh. out. Um, yeah, the, yeah, that's. So how did you feel finding out two weeks later? Oh, I was tragic. I was, um, I was in about year eight. I was just, uh, I was pretty sad. Yeah. But um, yeah. Rest in peace, CC. <laughs> <laughs> the love is still there, isn't it? Yeah. But it's yeah. that. You know, I, I know in health they don't they they're in two minds, and I, I think I covered this in in the last show. But worth covering again, if someone has um, you know only got a short amount of time to live, there is still that question whether you tell them that they've got a short amount yeah. of time to live if they've got cancer and you know they've been fighting it, and or because or whether they're going to give up. When could, they know, or you could throw the placebo effect at them, you know, yeah. throw them a few, just like, this is going to make you better. Yeah. Like, keep keep your head up. Like, yeah. You never know. Placebo effect is a, it works. Absolutely. I listened to a podcast, um, and it was specifically on uh, lying as my research for this. And they kept there was a grandmother who had cancer, and all the kids knew that that uh, that she had cancer and the doctor said she literally had um maybe maybe two months to live it had been it was quite advanced so yep. they actually bought forward a wedding um just so that they could say all say goodbye to her so they got everyone together to, in it was this, this was in america to say goodbye to and this grand she, she and they know. did not tell her they yep. said it was just a wedding so of course everybody is there knowing that it's the last time they're going to see her and and she's going you know why is the bride crying all the time this is just the worst wedding like you know we should be and of course they know that that it's a heartbreaking moment for them because she's going to pass oh. and in fact um 12 years later she's still alive Oh, that's a lovely story. Yeah, so they've just kept getting to having these get-togethers and giving her things to look forward to, and celebrating her. And have, actually, I, have, I, have they told her? Or no, still haven't told her. Still <laughs> haven't told her. Lie. Twelve year lie. So she knows that she has something, but she was never actually told that it was terminal and that it was, you know, going to happen imminently. So she just thinks that she's going for all these treatments, but the 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 community and the love and whatever they they have no idea. How she's still here. Soldier. Yeah. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? The placebo effect sometimes mm. is one of the most important um, parts. So is that lying? Or is that actually, is it denial? Or is it actually just living for the moment and living in the moment and just taking each moment as it comes? Oh, if it benefits someone, I don't see any issue in that. Yeah, but the the daughter had so much trouble because she was really struggling with the fact that she wasn't telling the truth to the grandmother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Well, I yeah. Would, I wouldn't want to tell my grandmother. No. No. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I'd want her to have this. You know, this. I don't know. I don't know. If she had died and not been able to say the goodbyes that she wanted, would I still feel the same? That was the dilemma of the of the young person who was who was you know heading up this blog. She was saying, "I feel like I'm not giving her the opportunity. There may be situations in her life that she wants to put right that she can't do. We might not know that side." Yeah. And I guess you know we don't know. Um, we don't know the past lives of our grandparents. There might have been a, a, a relationship with a, a friend that has been broken that she might actually say, look, I need to I need to make this right before I pass. Yeah, yeah. Get it. Yeah, that, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah. It's good stuff. I mean, it would be good if we all lived being um, truthful. across all of that and truthful, yeah. yes. But, uh, yeah, are there other times... Um, and boosting self-esteem. How often have you been asked, do I look good in this? Hmm. And have you always told the truth, Austin? Have I always told the truth? Someone's had a radical haircut. One of your friends had a radical haircut and they say, hey, dude, look, I have a haircut. What's your record? Is it good? <laughs> um, and you're going, God, yeah. No, you know, if it's one of my friends, so I'd probably... I, I always like to joke. I just like, it looks horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, I just pay them out. But, you know, I, I don't really uh, judge people on what they look like or anything. Yeah. I just judge them on the characteristics. Yeah. Mainly. So, actually, again, you, you'd, you'd hold them to accountable for their truth. 
yeah. their honesty. Yeah, that's what, well, that's the main thing I look for in a person because they're not going to stick around long enough if they're going to be if they're going to lie to you. So. Without sort of saying their names, unless you particularly want to say their names, um, your friends at the moment, tell me what you, you really value about them. Uh, they're a good bunch of guys. Um, we we just go out, um, we go about you know, two, three times a week to the RSL, have, yeah. have dinner, play pool. Um, they're good. Uh, I only have like three or four friends. I keep my friends small because yeah. uh, I find the least... The, like the least people you know uh, and socialize with, uh, for me, it's less problems. Yeah. I don't know about other people, but it's just less drama. It's just more relaxed. You got a, just a nice bunch of friends. Yeah. And keep it at that. Try keep it at that. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it's quite. It's quite good. Austin, you've brought so much to today. You've you've helped me look at things in a different way, and I didn't expect the the show to go like this at all. So, thank you so much for being part of it. Oh, welcome! Thank you for having me, Triple H. I really enjoyed being on the show. Excellent. All right. So, don't forget, if you want to sponsor me for the Sleep in Your Car event, please do so. I will put that on my Facebook page and also on the website. I will also be there as well. Excellent, Austin. <laughs> I'm so pleased. Now, remember, regardless of what has or is happening in your life, you are and always will be amazing. The key is to connect to that space and learn to build a relationship with your body so you can recognize when your body is trying to tell you something is not quite right and then seek support with the appropriate service, be that mental or physical health. Look for support in the community. It is there. Now, the podcast for today's show will be on the Stay in the Loop with Lucy website and on SoundCloud by the end of the day. Um, If you want to get updates, remember to like that page. Um, I hope you'll make an appointment to visit me next Sunday. Till next week's show, remember to take a moment to look after you um, to connect with our people in our community. Be kind, be caring, be loved, be all of you. Last words, Austin. If anyone wants to take any um, words home with them today, the meaning to life is to give life meaning. Love it. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Stay in the Loop with Lucy on Triple H 100.1 FM.